Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick be tricked or deceived or led astray by false teaching, but what about those who are leading others astray? What motivates someone to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lead some people astray. Well, let's talk about that. What motivates false teachers? At the end of chapter one, which we looked at last week, uh, Peter talked about, he said, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed even than, than our own experiences about God. We have the prophetic word that we look to. And he talked about how people throughout history have been moved along, carried along, by the Holy Spirit, inspired to speak the words of God, and they've done so faithfully. Now, in contrast to that, now he starts chapter 2. He says, okay, in contrast to those people who faithfully, truly are carried along by the Holy Spirit and present the words of God, there are other people. There are people who don't do that. There are false prophets who speak words that are not from God. And what Peter tells us is, just as there were false prophets among the people of God in the past, right, like in the Old Testament, there will also be false teachers among you today. And that's interesting, right? They're going to be among us. If they're among us, and Jesus said they're dressed as us, then how are we supposed to recognize them? Well, Peter's going to give us some guidance here in this chapter. But something you might ask is this. What might motivate someone to teach or promote false doctrines? I mean, it just seems kind of like a strange thing to do, don't you think? Like, why would, why would, what would be the point of telling somebody and, and intentionally spreading incorrect information? If the sky's blue, why would I go outside and tell you it's green? What would motivate me to do something like that? Well, here in this section, Peter is going to give us a few reasons which motivate people to knowingly promote and teach false doctrines. Okay, but first, let's talk about this. There are two kinds of false teachers. We need to acknowledge that. There are two kinds of false teachers. Number one, there are those who do so from ignorance. Right? So they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And then you have people who do so from bad motives. So ignorance and bad motives, two different reasons why people do it. Now, those who do so from ignorance, they don't necessarily have bad intentions. They might be, be misinformed themselves or somebody else led them astray and they're just continuing on. They might believe wholeheartedly that what they're saying is correct, but that doesn't make it correct. Okay, So this would be like, you know, you get these Mormon missionaries or, or different groups who might knock on your door. 18-year-old kids been raised in some group. They're sincere and they believe that what they're teaching is, is the truth and it's correct. And yet it's not. So we should approach people like that with empathy, compassion, kindness, patience, and grace. Understanding that they're completely sincere, even if they're sincerely wrong. And that's totally possible, right? People used to believe that smoking was good for you. Like doctors used to prescribe smoking. Oh, you got that problem? You should uh, try smoking. That'll fix it. Um, and now we know, nope, that turns out that's not a good idea, right? So they sincerely believed it was. Turns out it wasn't. That happens a lot. So something doesn't just become true just because you really, really believe it's true. In Acts chapter 18, we read about a guy named Apollos. Apollos was sincere. He was just misinformed. He was a Jew who was teaching and preaching from the Bible. 
And in fact, he was even preaching about Jesus, which is so interesting. He was preaching about Jesus, but he didn't have the full story of Jesus. He didn't have his facts straight on Jesus. And so as a result, he was preaching and teaching things about Jesus, which were not true. And so it says there in Acts chapter 18 that this married couple who we, who we read about in our last study, right, Aquila and Priscilla, they come, they're leaders in the church in Ephesus, they come, they meet this guy Apollos, and they take him under their wing, and they say, Apollos, hey, this is awesome that you're preaching and teaching stuff about Jesus, we love Jesus too, there's part of the story that you don't know, some of your doctrine's a little off, please, let us explain this to you, let us walk you through it, and what happens in the end, Apollos is like, Got it. Thank you. Corrected. Goes on and starts preaching good doctrine and accurately. And he's an example of someone who's preaching false things, um, but not out of malice, right, or, or a desire to mislead, simply because he didn't know better. And, and when he was taught, he was open and receptive to being taught and corrected, and he received it graciously. So there, there's a great example right there. Um, so there are people who do things out of ignorance, but those are not the kind of people Peter's talking about here in 2 Peter chapter 2. The people Peter has in mind here in chapter 2 are those who, he says, boldly and willfully teach false things from bad motives. He says in verse 10, they're bold, they're willful, they despise authority. They are people who teach false things for bad motives. Uh, if there's a sense of intentionality that goes with it. Uh, that's why they're called wolves. Now, you know, there's kind of people are categorized kind of in the Bible into three different animal types, three different animal types. Those are sheep, goats, and wolves. Uh, my grandfather used to have a, a ranch in southern Oregon. I used to go up there when I was a kid. And he had lots of animals, but he also, my favorite was to hang out with the sheep and the goats. And why? Because sheep and goats actually like to hang out together. They graze together. They get along very well. So they'll always kind of be mixed together. If you put sheep and goats within the same fence, they'll just hang out together. And in the New Testament, we see an example. Jesus talking like that. He says that at the end of time, at the great judgment, he will come and he will separate the sheep from the goats. Now, again, I mentioned to you earlier that the, the sheep speaks of the people of God. And I'll just quickly tell you this. When the Bible says that we are sheep and God is our shepherd, that is a well-intentioned, loving insult of sorts, okay? Think about it like this. Why does God say, you are the sheep and I am the shepherd? Why doesn't he say, you are the horse and I am the horse trainer? The reason is because sheep need a shepherd in a way that a horse doesn't need a horse trainer. A horse without a horse trainer goes wild. A sheep without a shepherd dies. Sheep have no natural uh, defenses. They're not even good at running away. They get lost. They have a horrible sense of direction. If they see grass, they'll go towards that grass even if it's on the other side of a cliff. And, and it's not uncommon for sheep to walk off cliffs or to get in, stuck in spots and have to get saved, right? Or to walk right into danger. Uh, they, they're just not great at many things. They can't take care of them. You never see, you're never going to go out like driving and see just a herd of wild sheep just enjoying nature. It doesn't happen. Why? Because they die. They need a shepherd for food, for protection. They can't live without a shepherd. And so the worst thing a sheep could do is to run away from its shepherd. And yet that is what they constantly do. And God says, yeah, that's kind of like you guys, right? Like, uh, and God says, that's a picture of you. See, we belong to him. We depend on him. And we need him for everything. He leads us. He feeds us. He pursues us when we go astray, which we do. And he brings us home. 
We are his sheep, and he's the good shepherd. So if we are his sheep, then what do the goats represent? Well, they represent people who are not sheep, but neither are they wolves. See, this is really important. It's not that there are only sheep and wolves. There are sheep, and there are goats, right? Goats hang out with sheep. They're not a danger to sheep. They get along. They eat side by side. And yet, they don't know God as their shepherd. And that is really important. And we we read about that in Matthew 25. So, goats are not sheep. But here's what's cool. The promise of the gospel is that because of what Jesus did for us, we can become new creations. Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We can become new creations. In other words, goats can become sheep. And guess what? Everybody who's a sheep today used to be a goat. All of us who are sheep today. We used to be goats. That's how we started out. So our goal and our mission is not to live a goat-free life. I hope you know that. Our goal is not to live a goat-free life. Our goal is not to be like, we're sheep and we need to get away from these goats. Our goal is to help goats become sheep by introducing them to the shepherd and inviting them to join the flock. In addition to goats and sheep, though, we're told there are wolves. And wolves, they don't hang out with sheep. They eat sheep. They hurt sheep. They want to use sheep to satisfy their own carnal desires. They're dangerous to sheep because they don't have sheep's best interest in mind. Let's put it that way. They want to use them, eat them, devour them. So it's been said that the job of a spiritual shepherd, right, like a pastor we call a spiritual shepherd, uh, a leader in the church, the job of a, a leader in the church is to feed the sheep, love the goats, and shoot the wolves. So feed the sheep, love the goats, and shoot the wolves. We don't shoot the goats. Let me be clear on that. We don't shoot the goats. We love the goats. We want the goats to hang out with us because we want them to become sheep too. But we do need to deal with the wolves. And wolves are are identified by their intentions. Their intentions. So let's talk about what some of those motives are. Verse 1, he says, They have secretly brought in destructive heresies. This is an idea of like smuggling in contraband, right? Something foreign, something destructive, something dangerous. Now, Now imagine I come up to you one day and I say, Come here. I've got some destructive heresies. Do you want to hear them? Would you like to believe them? Would you like to sign on the dotted line for these heresies? Maybe some of you would say, yes, where do I sign up? I would love to believe some things which are, first of all, not true, and secondly, are going to destroy my soul. Where do I sign up for that? Why is it that anyone in their right mind would be attracted to things which are, first of all, not true, and secondly, destructive to your soul? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, A time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves, and they will accumulate teachers, basically, who will tell them what they want to hear, to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths. Paul is telling us that the reason people are attracted to harmful heresies is because these heresies promise shortcuts. They promise shortcuts to getting the things that people want. And the problem is that these false teachings, what they give is they give false hope. Now probably, if I were to summarize, what are the two most common false teachings that I think uh, plague the church today? I would say they are two things. One is legalism, and the other one is what's called the prosperity gospel. They're actually cousins. They're super closely related. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or 
whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. Now, these were also around 2,000 years ago when the Bible was being written. Let me just run you quickly through them. Legalism is the teaching that you're standing before God, and ultimately your salvation depends on your performance. You know, do good enough, try hard enough, and you can earn God's love. You can get God to uh, give you blessings. You can prove to God that you are worthy of those things, and ultimately you can work your way to heaven. Now, first of all, that's heresy. It's not true. It's completely contrary to the gospel. But it's also dangerous, and I'll tell you why. The, the message of the gospel is this, though. Let me give you the, the accurate part. It's that your standing before God does not depend on your performance. Your standing before God depends on what Jesus did for you. His performance, you might say, in, in living a, a sinless life, the life that you should have lived, in dying a sacrificial death, taking your place in death. Uh, in his life, death, and resurrection. That's what it's based on, what Jesus did. And what that means is if it's based on Jesus and what he did, then God's love and God's blessings and your salvation are not things that you earn. They're gifts that you receive. And so furthermore, since God's love and God's acceptance of you is based on what Jesus did, that means it's stable, right? If you have a bad week, guess what? He still loves you. He still accepts you in Christ because what Jesus did doesn't change. It is finished. So uh, when, it, when it comes, though, to earning and deserving, right, the Bible tells us there's, there's something we have earned and deserved from God. It says the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned. And yet instead of judgment and death, God offers us life and liberty in Jesus. So the message of the gospel is that Jesus took the judgment you deserve so that you could receive the blessings that only he deserved. He, on the cross, Jesus was treated the way that we deserve to be treated so that we could then be, be treated instead the way that only he deserves to be treated. That's why we call it grace. Now, why would anyone want legalism rather than grace? Well, one main reason is this. Legalism gives you the illusion of being in control. It allows you also to take credit for the blessings in your life, right? So if something goes good, you can say, well, that's because I'm pretty awesome and I pray a lot, right? Um, and yet, legalism has a dark side. It has a shadow side. See, uh, it, this is why it's a destructive heresy. Here's why. First of all, on the best days, legalism leads to pride, which, which is really bad. So when things are going well, like I said, you pat yourself on the back, you get proud of yourself, you take credit for earning God's blessings because you're so awesome and you did all those great things. And then, guess what happens? You look down on others because, uh, you know, things aren't going as well in their lives. Well, that must be a sign that they're not as awesome as you are, and they have, uh, you know, they're a bunch of mess-ups and failures. So that means you can look your no down your nose at them. God must be upset with them because he obviously likes me more than he likes them. And so on the one hand, legalism leads to pride, and pride is spiritual poison. 
It says in the Bible, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride was the sin of Satan that caused his downfall and, and his eternal destiny. And guess what? Pride is, is a real threat for us. It's not just uh, a bad habit. It's something inside of us which has a potential to rise up and destroy us. So we don't want to feed pride, and legalism feeds pride. But it also leads to despair because guess what? When you're not doing well or when something doesn't go on in your life, that's when you start asking questions like, this isn't fair, God. What did I do to deserve this? I've done all the right things, God. I don't deserve this bad thing happening to me. Do you not love me anymore, right? Or, or maybe you mess up and then you feel like God doesn't like you anymore or that you're, he's not going to bless you anymore. No, that's, that's a legalistic mindset. And, and, you know, a cousin to legalism is this prosperity idea. Prosperity, essentially, this prosperity gospel says this, that the point of Jesus' coming was so that you can be healthy, wealthy, and that's all, right? Like healthy and wealthy. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, right? Like if you uh, have financial trouble, you lose your job, you get lupus, MS, cancer. Well, I mean, you're obviously probably not praying hard enough and uh, you need to give more and you need to do more. And that, those are signs that you, you're not doing enough and you're not pulling your weight. That's a destructive heresy. It ruins souls. It ruins lives. And guess what? Everybody who's ever lived before us, with the exception of like three guys, they're all dead, okay? So if we're all going to die. The hope of the gospel is not health and wealth right now. The hope of the gospel is the kingdom of God, which is here now. We have God's presence and power with us here now, and we have the hope of eternal life, which is to come, the kingdom of God, which is to come. And guys, guess where prosperity teaching is most popular? Would you think it's most popular in places where people are wealthy and prosperous or most popular in places where people are poor? unequivocally, it is popular in places where people are poor. It's popular in Africa, where I lived in Hungary. It was popular amongst the poorest population, the gypsy population. And why? Well, because it feeds on greed. And what it says is, it's almost like a get-rich-quick scheme, right? Instead of doing some business, you, you do these things. Go to these meetings. Give to this thing this certain amount of seed money. And then, you know, you're going to get rich and prosperous. And so this doctrine, of course, ignores the fact of Jesus being the holiest, godliest person who ever lived, and yet he was never rich. He never had a pillow to lay his head on. He died a suffering death. And of course, it ignores the prophets and the apostles who were godly people and were never rich. Peter himself, as he writes this, he's a couple weeks, months, years away from being executed for his faith. So, so that whole idea is a destructive heresy. Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but do not worry because I have overcome this world. So that's the hope of the gospel. Legalism is, is destructive. Its cousin, prosperity gospel, is destructive. So what motivates these teachers? Well, let's just look through the text and make some notes. First of all, a lack of reverence for God. A lack of reverence for God, verses 1 and 2. Peter says they deny the master who bought them, and they don't care that they lead other people into blasphemy as well. You know, false doctrine is always an attack on God's character. So that's a, that's a form of blasphemy. Second, greed. Greed motivates them. This is verse 3 and then later on. In greed, they exploit you with false words. So we read about this in other places in the Bible too, right? People who use 
their position or religion in order for sordid gain. Certainly, there are plenty of examples that we can point to of people who've used religion in order to get rich off of other people. An example that's mentioned here in our text is Balaam. Now, Balaam's story is found in Numbers 22 through 24. If you're interested, check that out. Numbers 22 through 24. Here's the deal with Balaam. He was a Jewish prophet who accepted a bribe from the enemies of God, and in exchange for money he agreed to prophesy curse against the people of God. Now, it didn't work out. You'll have to read the story to find out what happened. But the point is that that's an example of a false prophet motivated by greed. But it's not always greed for money. It could be greed for power. The point is, the aim is not to serve and help people, but to use people in order to get things that you want. Finally, there's pride. Pride, it says in verse 10, is a motivator. The, the very first false teacher in the Bible was the serpent in the Garden of Eden, motivated by pride to twist the words of God and, and make empty promises and challenge the character of God. It was a false teaching, and as we've seen, it's very destructive. Behind it was pride. It says, verse 2, many will follow them in their sensuality and blaspheme the way of truth. So just because a lot of people are doing something doesn't mean that that's a good thing to do. Jesus said, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Peter tells us in verse 3 that in due time, God is going to deal with those who do false prophecy, who are wolves. And you might ask, well, why doesn't God deal with them now? Why is God waiting to deal with them in due time? Why wait? Do you want to know the answer? You're going to have to wait till next week because next week we talk about our message is called the patience of God. And it talks about why God waits both in salvation and in judgment. So don't miss that. Next week we're going to answer that question in our study called, our final study in this series, The Patience of God. But from verses 4 to 8, then Peter reminds us of some times in history where God has brought judgment. He reminds us of angels, like fallen angels who have uh, rebelled against God and were cast into hell. He reminds us of judgment in the time of Noah and the flood. He reminds us of the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in each of these cases, there, were, there was a judgment of God, but there was also salvation in the midst of the judgment. There were people who were saved. And here's the point Peter's making. God's judgment is inevitable, but it's not unavoidable. And that's kind of the, the final big thought I'd like to leave you with today is this. God's judgment is inevitable, but it's not unavoidable. See, there is coming a day of reckoning and judgment, and that's inevitable. But it's not unavoidable. Because if you are in Christ, Jesus has taken the judgment for your sins so that you can be saved. If you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, never stepped across that line and put down your yes and said, okay, I'm in. I give you my life, Jesus. You need to know this. God's judgment is inevitable. But it is not unavoidable. Rather than receiving the judgment of God, you can receive the salvation of God through Jesus. And the way you do that is by no longer trusting in yourself that you're good enough and smart enough to save yourself or, or for God to accept you that you can earn it. And instead of trusting yourself, you look to Jesus to be your salvation. His actions on your behalf as the basis for your acceptance and standing before God. If you do that, then you'll be on the receiving end of salvation from God rather than judgment from God. And finally, and this will be fast, the how to recognize false teaching. There's a lot that could be said under this title, but I want to leave you with this. Verse 17, he says that these teachers are waterless springs. Waterless springs. There was a time when Jesus spoke with a woman at a well. John chapter 4, the gospel of John chapter 4. And Jesus told her, if you drink the water from that well, 
You're just, you'll eventually get thirsty again. That's how our bodies work. But if you drink the water that I give you, the spiritual water, then you will never thirst again. And later on in John chapter 7, Jesus declared, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Guys, the way to spot a false teacher is that they make a lot of promises, but they're disconnected from the source of living water, which is Jesus. False teaching points you to yourself or some religious leader, but it doesn't connect you to the source of living water, which is Jesus. Guys, whatever you're going through right now, wherever you need hope, wherever you need strength, wherever you need life, it's found in Jesus. If you're thirsty, come to him. Come to the source the source of God's grace, the source of satisfaction, the source of strength, the source of salvation. And believe in him as the scriptures have declared. Not only will you be satisfied, but you will overflow and become a blessing to others. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. And Lord, we pray that you would protect us from destructive heresies. Lord, none of us, uh, no, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to believe a destructive heresy. So Lord, help us that we would see teachings and we would judge them by this. Do they lead us back to the source of living water? Do they lead us back to you, Jesus? And Lord, may we come to you today with the needs that we have, with the hope that we need, Lord, with the salvation that we need, with the strength we need for today, knowing that you are the source of living water and we're coming to you to receive everything we need because you are good and you are gracious. And remember this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.